Good morning. Before we look at God's word, let's bow in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us that tells us of your son, how he died for our sin and rose again. May we hear this word and receive it, be blessed by it. It strengthen our faith and our knowledge of you and bless our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the most perfect, noble, good, and true hero took the worst that evil could throw at him. He took the hit and died. God died. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And his resurrection was a victory for him and a victory, a victory for all who belong to him. And Jesus' resurrection is the center of Christianity. It is essential to our faith and our hope. And without it, we are stuck in the futility of this life. Are you experiencing futility anywhere in life? Do you need some hope right now? <laughs> I think all of us can, probably can answer honestly yes in some way. Um, I remember the first time as a young man that, that I really experienced futility, just futility. And I was a new ensign in the Navy. I'd been in for about a year, so I, I was finally getting to that point where like, okay, I'm figuring out how things really work here. <laughs> and I felt like it doesn't matter what plan I make, any plan I make, it's, it's not going to succeed. And now in the military, we're very proud of our attitude. Hey, the, the difficult, we do immediate, um, you know, immediately. The impossible takes a little, a little bit longer, but just a little. But there's a limit, you know, to that, that aspiration to, to do more with less. And because and eventually you run out of it, you know, less, you gotta have, you gotta have something to use. So, because if you combine less time with less money and less manpower and less material and less training for everyone, and then along with that, you have constantly changing goals and constantly changing deadlines. Well, that's all a recipe for heartbreak and failure. <laughs> and if you did succeed, it seemed like you got punished with more responsibility until it overwhelmed you. And all that, that was a recipe to experience futility. Just what's the point? Can't succeed no matter what you do. Now I know that many of you are experiencing far worse futility than what I just talked about. Some of you maybe right now in your lives. It could be futility in income, futility in relationships, in family, in health, in your body, your mind, in your soul. And you've probably been, if you're feeling that, you've probably been searching very hard for a remedy, any remedies, anything to change the situation. And I've seen this especially in people who do not know God and they're facing the end of their life. They're, they're in a steady decline of health, they're losing their health, and, and the joy of life is gone. And all they see ahead of them is, is suffering and death. 
and their memories aren't, can't comfort them anymore. And modern medicine, is as amazing as it is, has its limits. There's, it can only do so much. And without hope, life is futile. It feels futile. And without the resurrection of Christ, we are left in that futility. And that's the premise the Apostle Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 12 through 19, they're, they're kind of this, they're a, a logic chain. Each, each verse is a series of if-then statements. He's, Paul is very logical <laughs> in all he does. And he begins in verse 12 by addressing a, a wrong teaching that was spreading in the church of Corinth. And so we'll begin reading there. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, so it's important to know, a little background, the, the Corinthians were, were a Greeks. They were a Greek culture. And so this church were, were, were Greeks before they became Christians. And many Greeks, many different parts of Greek culture were, were repulsed by the idea of a bodily resurrection. Um, the, the idea was as gross to them as, as zombies are to us you know like you'd imagine like the gross rotting body crooked joints nothing moving right you know well yeah who wants to come back that way right like no 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 one wants to be resurrected like that and so that's what they uh, you know a resurrected body gross um and many greeks there are parts of not universally but different parts of greek culture preferred the idea of of ascending to a higher form of existence, something not limited by physical form, which sounds like something out of Stargate now. Um, but, but many people today have, have their own, today have their own reasons for rejecting the resurrection. But Paul, he, he's gonna take us through his logic chain to show us that the resurrection of Christ is essential to our hope and to our Christian faith. Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. It's really simple. A universal negative is undone by one exception. They, they can't both be true at the same time. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That's a, that's a lot to, to think about, especially for me as I'm, as I'm preaching here. If Christ is not raised, then all preaching of the gospel is in vain and everyone who's ever believed the gospel believed in vain. Because without the resurrection, it is empty. There's nothing there. It, it, it's like buying and selling fake stocks. You're not actually buying anything. There's nothing there. It's just deluding ourselves to feel better. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. 
So if there is no resurrection of the dead, then the peddlers of this delusion have misrepresented God. We have set people up for dis disappointment in God because we've made promises in his name that he never made. But only if, only if Christ is not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So faith is only as valuable as what it holds on to. It, it's not valuable for its own sake. No matter how tightly you hold on, if you're holding on to the wrong thing, it does you no good. And then, this reminds me of the old Wiley Coyote cartoons, where the, well, the Wiley Coyote, he's about to fall like off some huge cliff, and the roadrunner reaches out and, and hands him a lifeline, and he, he takes hold of it, and then, oh, it's not attached to anything. And, they, and he falls down, very tightly holding on to nothing. And without the resurrection of Christ, faith is empty. It is holding on to nothing. And, and Jesus often used the metaphor of debt. Uh, so I, I'm going to apply that here. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. So death is the debt that your sin incurs. And Jesus, when he died, he died in your place to pay the debt of your sin. He entered the prison of death to pay off the debt of your sin. <laughs> and the way a, a debtor's prison works is that you don't get released until the debt is paid off. No one gets out of there unless the debt is paid. So if Christ did not rise from the dead, then that debt is not paid off which means there is still, still sin that needs to be paid for, and sin is paid for with death, your death. And if death conquered Jesus, who had no sin, that death will definitely conquer us who are still in our sins. And on God's day of judgment, every person will answer to him for their sins. So that means that not only is, are we facing futility in this life, we're facing futility in the next, but only if. Also, if Jesus was not raised, then he is not God. Because our sins, which, which are many and terrible, are still finite. But God is infinite and eternal, so it is impossible that God is not enough to pay the debt of our sins. And if Jesus is not the Christ, then this is all nonsense. There, there is no hope in this. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And the New Testament calls the death of a Christian falling asleep. Because for them, the death is temporary. It's not, it's not the, the cessation of life. It's not the running out of life. It's more like a disruption 
of life because they will awake again to new life. And there's a great deal of hope for every one of us knowing that your loved ones suffering is over, that they are in heaven with Christ, that you will see them again. And I had to wrestle with this deeply when my mother died from cancer. I was 16 years old and she was diagnosed and three months later, she died. And that was horrible to watch and all of you who know that loss know what I'm talking about. But I also knew without a doubt that she trusted Jesus as her savior. Um, it was really a, a kind of amazing thing that God just a couple years earlier had worked it in her heart that she, she didn't know if she'd ever been baptized and her parents didn't remember if they had ever had her baptized either. So she decided, I wanna be baptized. And so very publicly up to the church, here she comes with her husband and her two young boys and, and she was baptized. So, I mean, and God moved that and orchestrated that so we could have that confidence and know that testimony of her life. No, she believed. And it was just, it was not even two years later um, that this, this cancer came and took her life. So we knew she believed and trusted it. And so it was just a question for me was, is it real or not? Is it real or not? Because if it's real and I trust Jesus as well, then I have hope. But if Christ is not raised from the dead, then no one is. And your loved ones are not in heaven and perished, says they're perished. Perished means dead for good. Life is run out, lost without any chance of recovery. Paul now brings this logic chain to its miserable end. We're probably all glad this, this miserable logic chain is coming to its end. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If there is no hope in Christ after death, then the dedicating our lives to Christianity is actually pitiable. Our obedience, our sacrifice, the persecution Christians have suffered, they are all a tragic comedy if it is for nothing. If there's no resurrection, then spiritual renewal, even spiritual renewal in this life is a, a joke. It's like, it's like, it'd be like taking someone's blinders off and handing them a shovel and saying, here you go, go dig yourself out of the pit that you have made for yourself. And you could, you could spend the whole rest of your life digging your way out, redeeming your life, and even if you got out of it and got to the top, you would find there is nothing there. Because if there's no resurrection from the dead, what are we digging for? What, what is the point? And also, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then the struggle in this life between good and evil becomes a war of attrition. Because all evil must do to win is kill you. Because if you're dead, then you're defeated for good. If there's no resurrection from the dead. So without the resurrection, those who follow Christ are the most pitiable of all people. Because we are still, we're actually still left in our futility. And we've followed a delusion. 
but only if, only if it is not true. And Paul now corrects this with hope. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul says, fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And we have good reasons to believe it is fact. And uh, there's many books out there you can find. I'm going to summarize an article from Crossway called Four Points of Evidence for the Resurrection. And uh, these points are recognized throughout the scholarly community, even by atheists, even by members of other religions who, who cannot accept the resurrection of Christ, and yet they have to admit the historicity of these events and that the resurrection is a reasonable interpretation. So first of all, the death and burial of Jesus are a fact. They are attested by multiple sources, even non-Christian ones. Theories that he didn't really die or that it wasn't really him have no evidence. They're just conjecture. They're just fairy tales. Also, the Jews knew exactly who Jesus was, and they even had an inside man to get him. <laughs> the chance, they, they wouldn't have got the wrong guy. And the Romans, they never failed in an execution because the soldiers would have been killed in his place if they failed to execute a guy. Also, many of the details of the account are so odd, they wouldn't have been made up. For instance, Jesus was buried in a tomb owned by a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a group that later persecuted Christians, tried to eradicate them. So such a detail, I mean, would, it would never have been included unless it were true. Secondly, the tomb of Jesus was empty after the third day. Now, first of all, we, there is the eyewitness testimony but also, if the body was there, then the claims of resurrection could have been easily disproved by showing the body. And yet, merely seven weeks after his death, the apostles preached his resurrection, and no one could deny the tomb was empty. They, the whole city, everyone knew it was empty. In fact, it's reported the guards were bribed to give some false explanation of why the body was gone. As even though it was a totally contradictory account the guards gave, uh, contradictory to itself, that they had to give something, some explanation. So everyone knew the tomb was empty. The question is, why? Third, the eyewitnesses clung to their testimony, even to the point of death. And if we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, it gives the list of all the eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses who saw the risen Christ. So this includes the apostles, includes the brother of Jesus, whose name was James, and includes over 500 people. That's a big group of people. That, that can't just be explained away by a, a hallucination. And furthermore, all but one of the apostles died as a martyr for their testimony. And Chuck Colson said this about it. 
He said, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The fourth point is the conversion of the apostle Paul. A Paul would be something we consider a, a hostile witness. It was, he, was, he was a member of that Sanhedrin, a Pharisee. It, it was his personal mission to eradicate Christianity, to hunt them down and execute them. And yet in a matter of days, mere days, he changed into one of the most ardent champions of Christ. What can explain such a dramatic psychological shift? Why would so, someone so zealously loyal to Judaism join a, a small, persecuted religion with no power, very few followers, and then spend the rest of his life risking persecution and death to spread the gospel? The answer is he met the resurrected Christ. Paul was an eyewitness to the risen Christ, and that is why he said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus' resurrection is a promise for you. This, this word, first fruits, it means, it means the first bud on the tree, the first grain of wheat to bloom at the harvest time. It's a sign that all the rest of the harvest is certain to come. So Christ, in his resurrection, he is the first fruit of all who will be resurrected after death like he was. And Paul explained how Jesus makes this possible for us. Verses 21 through 23. For as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. These verses simply and clearly explain our situation. We have sin and death because Adam sinned and he passed that on to all his descendants. We inherited his nature and then we ourselves have committed sins and so where we are all equally <laughs> embroiled in this. So just as death came to us by a man, resurrected life must come to us by a man, by one of us. And that man is Jesus, the Christ, God in the flesh, who conquered sin and death and rose to life. 
And it says our resurrection will happen when he comes again. And then we sung about that. Oh, glorious day. It will happen for those who belong to Christ. So how can you know you belong to Christ? Acts 2, verses 38 and 39 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God will call. So if you know Christ as your Savior, if you've been baptized in Him, then you know His Spirit lives in you. You have that. And if you don't know that, if you are not trusting in Christ as your Savior, you don't know if you belong to Him, then you are one of those the Lord has called because He that this is the gospel and it has been preached to you. And if it's been preached to you, then you are called to it, to answer it, receive it, to believe it. And it's clear and simple. Repent of your sins. Trust that Jesus' death and resurrection forgives your sins and be baptized in his name and receive his Holy Spirit. And Romans 8, 11 then connects the Holy Spirit dwelling in us with the resurrection of the dead at the end. Romans 8, 11, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Christ is raised from the dead, and those who belong to him have a sure and certain faith and hope that they will be raised from the dead with Christ. And this gives you hope not just for the future, but now in this life. And, and there are many ways I could talk about this. I'm just going to give 10 here real quickly. 10 ways this is good news for your life. If Jesus is raised, then Jesus is the Christ. Romans 1 verse 4. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. If Jesus is the Christ, then he is God the Son. He is Lord. He is Christ. He is your Savior, sent to save you with authority and power. If Jesus is raised, then you are no longer in your sins. 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your debt is paid. Your sins are forgiven. If Jesus is raised, then death is temporary and it is temporary for all who belong to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
For in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this <laughs> perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. If Jesus is raised, then you have a good future. And once you get there, it cannot be spoiled. It cannot be lost in any way. And the Bible calls this future your inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. If Jesus is raised, then all God's promises are true. God can and will keep all his promises to you. His promise to be with you wherever you go. His promise to fill you with his peace. His promise to guard your faith. His promise to transform your heart. His promise to sanctify you. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. If Jesus is raised, then the preaching of the gospel is not futile. It is effective for salvation. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If Jesus is raised, then your faith saves you. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. If Jesus is raised, then evil and death cannot win. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? All evils will come to an end but the good things of God will last forever. If Jesus is raised, then all your misfortunes will be undone, just as all Jesus' afflictions were undone. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17. So we do not lose heart. Though our, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we sang earlier, what a glorious day. Yes, there, there will be suffering in this life. And knowing Christ isn't going to prevent or stop all that. But you know that every affliction of your body, mind, and soul will be undone. And you and all creation will live in a glory beyond all comparison. 
And Paul closes chapter 15 with verse 58, which says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because of the resurrection, you know you are loved. You can be steadfast, immovable. You can abound in every good work of God. Because if Jesus is raised, then what you do matters. The littlest thing you do has significance because it participates in a kingdom that lasts forever. So how should we respond to this wonderful truth that Christ is risen? Believe it and rejoice as Paul does in verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you have given us the victory in Jesus Christ, the victory over death and futility and all the vain things that frustrate our lives and, and lead us into futility and despair. And you've given us a hope against all these things and give us a future and a promise, something to always look forward to, the promise that anything we suffer will ultimately finally be undone and the evil death cannot overcome us cannot defeat us we have a risen living hope in christ jesus and we may may we all take this to heart and carry it with us each hour of every day pray this in jesus name amen